Hello and welcome to the Rogue Ministry Podcast. This is Justin Barringer, the Rogue Minister, and I'm here with my co-host. This is Rachel, the creator of Speech Strong Resources. And together we are co-founders of Diapers Etc. and of course, host of the Rogue Ministry Podcast, creating and sustaining faithful ministries. Well, hello and welcome. This is Justin Barringer, the Rogue Minister, with our next edition of the Rogue Ministry Podcast. Sorry, my co-host is not here today because, as some of you know, we have small children, and so she's uh, with them right now. I imagine in the future you'll hear some episodes where it's just her voice because I'll be... Uh, entertaining the kids while she records. Um, Today, we have the first part of our interview with Lindsey Krinks from Open Table Nashville. And I'm really excited about this one. I've known Lindsey for a long time. And and it's not just, you know, that I'm excited about what she has to say about the ministry she does with Open Table Nashville. But I just love the way that she has chosen to live her life. The where and the how of her life, her whole life is really dedicated, um, as as she'll get at in this interview, is just dedicated to bringing about, um, bearing witness to to justice in this world. And so uh, I want to give you a brief rundown of Lindsay's bio before we get into talking with her, just so you know a little bit um, of who she's about, uh, who she is, what she's about. Uh, Lindsay's been working in the fields of homeless outreach and community organizing for over a decade now, um, part of that time with, with Open Table Nashville, but she does volunteer work and, and uh, other kinds of work in her community with a variety of different groups and organizations. Um, and she's really just dedicated to journeying with folks who are marginalized, both those who are on and off the streets. Lindsay is a graduate uh, with a Master of Theological Studies from Vanderbilt uh, Divinity School there in Nashville, uh, a degree which she earned back in 2013. Um, And I could, uh, on her bio, you you can go read it at the Open Table Nashville site, which will be linked um, in the episode of this podcast. But you could see that she has won numerous awards, been granted fellowships, all of those kind of things. Um, I won't go through that list, but I, what I will say is uh, that she has, and I think this is just one of the coolest kind of trainings ever. She was uh, part of a year-long street chaplaincy uh, training, a, a residency that she did through Nashville's Clinical Pastoral Education Partnership. Um, and so she is a street chaplain, which I just think is one of the, the neatest titles or designations that somebody can have. Um, and also, Lindsay is um, active, like I mentioned, in just a number of social and economic justice uh, and racial justice issues. Uh, and she was also ordained uh, around the same time she graduated in 2013. Um, and if you're looking for Lindsay, most likely you're going to find her in tent cities or washing feet in the streets near near the library in Nashville or um, 
leading groups around downtown showing them where where places of structural injustice are are happening um, both in in the way the city is designed and and where different events have happened or likely you're you're gonna find her somewhere out and about uh, just doing good work and you might even find her foraging uh, for native herbs and plants that she can use um, for food and the like. Uh, if you want to learn more about Lindsay, you can visit her blog, which again, we will have her uh, linked uh, at the, in the show notes to this episode, um, along with the website for Open Table Nashville. Um, another thing that I need to mention, this is, this is a big one. Lindsay has her first book coming out and right now tentatively titled Praying with Our Feet, which I love that imagery because we think, you know, we always see the praying hands imagery, imagery, but Praying with Our Feet should be coming out with Brazos Press uh, in around spring 2021. So y'all need to be looking for that. We'll definitely try to mention it again closer to time, but Praying with Our Feet by Lindsey Crink should be out soon. So without further ado, I guess let's get right into the interview with my friend Lindsay and see uh, what she has to, to teach us um, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and somebody who cares deeply about um, all sorts of issues of justice. Lindsay, we'd love it uh, if you'd go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I wear a number of different hats here in Nashville. Um, I'm the co-founder of an interfaith homeless outreach nonprofit, Open Table Nashville. And within that organization, I'm currently the education and street chaplaincy coordinator. Um, but I've also done a lot of homeless outreach work, which is very similar to social work. And also have done a lot of housing rights organizing, so like community organizing, really working with people um, to make sure their rights are respected and protected. And does all of this work through Open Table Nashville, or are they all things that you do through a variety of different sort of organizations or just on your own? How does that all kind of come about? Most of them fit underneath the umbrella of Open Table Nashville, and I do work, I do volunteer with a number of other organizations. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a temptation to kind of silo um, yourself in the nonprofit world and to just homeless outreach or just food justice. But one of the things we've realized is that all of these issues are interconnected, right? Mm-hmm. So housing justice is connected to racial justice, is connected to food justice is connected to the rights of LGBTQ plus folks. Um, so I could go on immigrant and refugee rights. Mm-hmm. All of these things mm-hmm. are connected. So um, we, we partner with a whole lot of groups, not only in the homeless services, but also across the spectrum. And that's been really life-giving. That's some really good wisdom because you're right. I've seen where nonprofits that should be working together and churches and other organizations sometimes get competitive uh, when really if you can sort of begin to solve one issue, that's going to help with the next and the next and the next, right? So yeah. um, I, I appreciate that. 
that's that's really good wisdom that I hope folks will will take away as as they look into what kind of ministries they want to be a part of and what kind of organizations they want to join up with. Um, given what you do, though, it sounds like most of the majority of it sort of focuses around um, you call it homeless outreach, uh, homeless chaplaincy, homelessness mm-hmm. chaplaincy, and um, you know I've gotten to see you do some of your work and. And join join in, but would you sort of describe? I know that no day looks the same, but describe a little bit about what the details of that kind of work. What, what does that involve? Yeah, so working on the streets is incredibly seasonal, and what mm-hmm. I mean by that is that our work looks different in the winter winter than it mm-hmm. does in the summer than it does in the spring and fall when the temperatures are a little bit more stabilized. Um, so. Within that work, um, you know, the winters are the hardest for us and our people and the summers follow right behind that. So on a, mm-hmm. on a given, like, I was, I, I can't even say a normal day. Yeah. But on a given, any given day, um, you know, we're, we're out on the streets. We're meeting people where they are. And so instead of people coming to our offices, we go out to them. We're in the campsite, the slums, under the underpasses at the libraries, at the jails, at the courthouses, and in the hospitals a lot because so mm. many of our folks have extreme medical issues. Yeah. And so we're meeting people where they are. We're building trust. We're building relationships. And we're trying to help them take that next step. We're, we're trying to accompany them as they take their lives back and work on healing. And it's up to mm. that person, you know, what, what kind of healing they're interested in. Maybe it's a house, a roof over their head. Maybe it's health care. Maybe it's working through some past issues um, that they have. Or maybe it's reconnecting with family or just getting an, another tarp for their tent, right? Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we start small, um, but we accompany folks on that journey. And then one of the things I've been doing a lot lately is I'm working with a lot of the faith communities in Nashville, not just churches, because we're interfaith. Mm-hmm. A lot of the faith communities and a lot of the other nonprofits and the businesses and companies to really try to help educate them about issues of homelessness so that we can break those cycles, those mm. larger systemic cycles. And that education that we do not only always involves the voices of people from the streets, right? Because we're mm-hmm. not a voice for the voiceless. Um, yeah. People have their own voices, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, which is really important. <laughs> we're, yes. we're trying to amplify those voices. Yes. Um, but that that education is also geared on, geared toward personal and systemic transformation. Mm. We're always mm. trying to change hearts and minds. We're also trying to change larger systems. So it's uh, it, it's work that, that you should accomplish and come to an end real real soon, right? Uh, <laughs> right. It's, not, it's not it's not at all uh, daunting. Um, <laughs> not at all. G- given that, I know that you've been involved in this work for a long time, so I kind of just wonder how did you get sort of the big idea? Where did this start? I know that um, there was a big flood in Nashville, so I know that played some role in all of what you're doing. But I'd, I'd like to kind of hear just how did this idea to do this kind of work um, come come to mind? And then how did you sort of get started in doing it? 
Yeah, so I I actually um, came to college in Nashville. I came here in 2003, and um, one of my goals from college was to have a comfortable life, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted a well-paying job, good vacation time, wanted to run away from some of the discomfort I saw and some of the suffering I saw in my own family um, around mental health issues, substance mm-hmm. use, other things like that. And, you know, when I got to college, um, I had previously thought, you know, folks experiencing homelessness, folks on the streets, they, I bought into that notion that they had done something to deserve mm-hmm. where they are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I came to Nashville and started seeing how widespread things were, started building relationships with folks, um, literally stumbling upon this homeless organizing group, the Nashville Homeless Power Project, that was currently informally homeless folks organizing themselves for change. Wow. Wow. Um, that's, I, I literally fell into that by accident and in prayer mm. too. Um, I, I believe I was led there and everything changed for me. Fast forward a couple years and I'm doing um, AmeriCorps, which is kind of like the Peace Corps, but it's mm-hmm. within the United States. And I'm working with a secular nonprofit that's like a mental health agency, has a homeless outreach program. And several of us are working with that group, and we're working in Tent City, which was the largest homeless encampment in Nashville at mm. the time. We're building relationships. We're helping people get housing. We're building trust and, and fall in love with these folks and are on their side fighting for justice. And then the flood comes. So mm. in Nashville in 2010, Huge floods sweep through, and Tent City's on the river, so completely floods. What happened from there is that the city turned away from folks, turned their their back on folks. Mm-hmm. The like other social services, when the land was condemned, they're like, well, you know, they just gotta figure out somewhere else to go. Mm. But there was a small group of us, a very small group of five people, ministers, outreach workers, students. And we said, no matter what happens, we're not going to abandon you. We made this promise that we wouldn't just turn our backs on folks. And that led us to a journey um, that's actually documented in the documentary Tent City USA. Mm-hmm. But that led us on to a journey where we were working, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week for a while, you know, mornings, nights, weekends, um, helping people opening churches, opening parsonages, um, trying to figure out where people could go. And then when we took a minute to catch our breath after a couple months of this, several months of of working like that, the five of us realized, you know, there's a gap in Nashville. We Mm -hmm. need a nonprofit that can do the homeless outreach, but that can do it in a kind of justice framework instead of just a charity framework that can do it in a way where we're not just acting like faith has no role in people's lives, but that can actually mobilize the faith community in tangible mm. ways. Mm. And that's when we came up with Open Table Nashville. And, you know, the the name Open Table Nashville is meant to invoke this open table where there's always room to pull up an extra chair, where people get their needs met and where there's community. and where people don't just get crumbs from the table, which is that charity model, but actually have a place at the table, which is that justice model. Mm. So that Mm. was the idea. (laughs) 
system and we started it. So it's still going, you know, this many years later. That's amazing. So it sounds like you sort of just saw a, a massive need. And so you kind of were scrambling at first just to, to sort of meet it in, in really the face of kind of an emergency or, or not kind of a, a big emergency with the flood and the response that was lack thereof. But, um, in order to sort of make the shift from sort of focusing on just meeting sort of those needs immediately, how did you, um, sort of set the stage for saying, okay, this is going to be something that's going to last longer term? Like, who did you start having conversations with? Uh, what did it look like when, when you had your first meeting after you kind of took a little breath and said, okay, we, we know this is a need. Like, how did you make that, that, uh, transition from sort of meeting that immediate need to looking more long term? That's a great question. There were five of us in the beginning and, you know, we were nonprofit, um, workers. We were outreach workers. We were ministers and a student. And so the conversation started with us and then we talked to our friends on the street and said, you know, what about this? What about that? Mm. And everyone was like, absolutely. Like, this is so needed. Y'all are already doing the work. You need to name it. You need to get support for it. You need, mm. um, you need to build it. And so from there, we started talking to the, the people that we knew were already involved and supportive, like folks at our churches, folks in the nonprofit realm, getting advice, looking at models. We were really drawn to um, a couple different homeless outreach programs that we thought, okay, there's some pieces of this that we'd like to incorporate. Um, and also, there was um, a group named the Open Door Community in Atlanta, which mm-hmm. was a Protestant Catholic worker church. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really loved some of the things they were doing too, even though it's not the um, the homeless outreach model at all. So we're pulling in all these things. And I want to make sure people know, like, starting a nonprofit, first of all, is not easy or for the mm-hmm. faint of heart. Mm-hmm. It's not for individuals. It's for um, – you can't do it as, like, a Lone Ranger style. It, it's not going to be sustainable. Mm. Um, and, you know, we it, – it's not always linear either. It's not mm. like we sat down in this peaceful, you know, room with no, no sound and we're like, <laughs> okay <laughs> – Here's the A's, B's, and C's of nonprofit creation, right? We jumped in at like J or like Mm -hmm. P or like something. Mm -hmm. And then we had to work Mm -hmm. backwards and forwards. Um, And, yeah, we started from there. Um, You know, in the beginning, we incorporated. We had an attorney that helped us incorporate as a nonprofit, file the proper papers and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we – Um, you know, none of us were paid for the first, like, at least eight months. None of us were paid. We all had odd jobs. Um, Mm. A couple people were working other jobs that allowed them to spend some time with us. But not everybody can do that, and it was really Mm -hmm. hard. And so it took us a while to raise those first funds and figure out how we were going to structure ourselves. So, it you know it, it took several years for us to even have an office building. Um, a lot of the times we were working out of our cars. Um, our our current executive director, her living room and her dining room were like our office. So mm-hmm. we would we'd meet around her table. 
Um, but yeah, it's, you know, now we have a larger nonprofit. We've got 12 staff members, interns. It's um, doing really well. They didn't start like that. So it's, it's okay to have those first two years be bumpy and be yeah. rocky. Yeah. And I'm really appreciative that y'all didn't sort of see some vague need from afar, you know, some statistics or something like that. But for you, when you started, this was about this friend or that friend or this community that you're a part of and saying, okay, there's all these obstacles in this way. There's all these ways they're being pushed down. Um, and I think that's a good word for folks listening is really to be involved in whatever sort of ideas you have to be involved in communities first, which also means that things are going to be bumpier and messier than if you sort of start from from afar, build up your structures, get all your money in order, and then try to go in and be helpful. Um, and, and honestly, I think the only way we can do this, right, is is if you're looking at this sort of what you've said, sort of a charity versus justice model, which is something we're going to talk about on another episode, it has to be done the way y'all have done it in some sense. You have to do it out of these relationships, right? Is that, you think that's a fair way to say that? Yeah, no question. You, you know, if you're coming from outside um, into a community where you don't have relationships or trust or you're not directly affected and you try to say, here's how we're going to fix you. Here's how we're going to help you. The only response is like, it's like condescending paternalistic charity, right? Mm. It's not going to be that relational organic work. We, we were embedded in those communities before we um, we're incredibly knowledgeable about what already existed in the community. And the only reason we created something new was because there was a gap. Yeah. And I think that's why we survived. We weren't duplicating what others were duplicating or what others were doing. We were doing something new and fresh and different with mm. a different model, a different connectedness to the people themselves. And that served us really well. And listening to the voices of people that you're trying to serve is incredibly important. And I'd love to talk more about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we will definitely um, get to that in a minute. I, I do want to ask, though, because I know that even today, y'all still work on a shoestring budget. Um, but every time that I talk to anybody who's looking at starting some kind of ministry or starting some kind of nonprofit or you know, meeting some need or building some relationships or all these kind of things, the questions that always come up are, how did you get money to do this, right? Because I know mm -hmm. people who are, who are, you know, buy a van and, and just out of their own pocket go and hand out meals or they, um, you know, maybe round up a, a little bit of money from some church folks, but we have to think sort of more long term. So how do you go about getting donations, grants, how other, how, what, what other kinds of resources were you able to, to get a hold of? Yeah, so there are three categories that kind of come to my mind about how we fund this work, and they are relationships, <laughs> MANA, and the nonprofit hustle. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to uh, break I want to break those down a little. Uh, um, so, <laughs> <laughs> 
First of all, with relationships, we're deeply relational, not only on the streets with our people, with our friends, but also in the community. So turns out a lot of people have more money than they need. Mm. <laughs> and mm. they, they care about other people. Yeah. They want to figure out how to yeah. be part of the solution. They want to figure out how to channel their excess into change and equity. And so building relationships with folks that were mutual, not saying, hey, give me your money, but saying, mm. hey, come out with us. Like, I want to show you what we do, um, and let's get coffee. And building and fostering those relationships in the beginning was huge for us. You know, we don't take government funds, so everything we do comes from the private sector. Mm. So those relationships, not only with individuals, but also with faith communities, um, and to say, we don't want this to be a one-way relationship. If you're a church that's supporting us from your outreach budget every month, we want to provide education for you. Mm. We want to be available when something comes up and you need support mm. or you need consultation or you need help. Um, so those symbiotic relationships are really important. Yeah, um, yeah. Then there's MANA. MANA are those checks that come and you're like, really struggling and you didn't know how you were going to make payroll in those early days the next mm -hmm. month um, mm -hmm. or, or help somebody get new shoes or help somebody move into housing or whatever. And it comes from word of mouth. It comes from people sharing the work you're doing because it has integrity. Um, and it comes from God. <laughs> somehow. Yes. Yes. It's just, it just comes. And we're so thankful for that. It's, you know, it's hard to put in your strategic plan, like manna. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially because manna never comes as uh, as excess, right? Like in the right. in, in that story, right? It's enough for no. today, or enough for for the weekend, right? Not not oh, enough gotcha. for two years of you know whatever it is that you're a part of. So yeah, absolutely. Right. Right, and then that last category is the nonprofit hustle, which anyone <laughs> who oh, yes. has yes. done nonprofit work knows that it is constant. It is writing grants, finding foundations, local, national, regional foundations that align with your mission. It's applying for those church grants that, again, have outreach budgets and outreach funds. It's, um, you know, at a certain foundation's, you have to be, um, you have to have so many years under your belt for mm -hmm. your nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So it's doing those, trying to find sustainable funds um, and sustainable funding. And, you know, when those things don't exist, it's asking people to kind of give monthly. Um, that's a nonprofit hustle, too. We're doing that right now, monthly yes. donors and monthly givers. Yes. Every little bit goes a long way. So people that give us $5 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month, they're mm -hmm. all creating a base. When you, what we knew we wanted to do when we started Open Table Nashville is we wanted to have a grassroots funding base. And what that means is that we didn't want our funding to depend on one big funder. Yeah. Because if that funder gets pissed at you for doing justice work yeah. like we're kind of controversial you know yeah if they get if they get pissed at you and they pull their funding you're done 
we see that in the government sector, one government grant dries out and that outreach program's gone. Yep. So we wanted to have a broad base of support, individuals, communities, um, and foundations. And that's kind of how we structured it for us. But it, um, it is, it is a hustle for sure. <laughs> you have to, you have to know that and be willing to ask people for money to do this. I appreciate that. Just on a practical note, do y'all have, do you utilize any kind of grant writers or is that just something your staff does or how do you go about those kinds of fundings? I, I think folks might be able to grasp a little bit more about what it means to go say talk to a church or have coffee with folks, but I think that part might be the technical aspects of that might be a little more difficult to understand. So I guess how have you gone about finding and writing grants? You know, it's something that we kind of had to teach ourselves to do. And mm. in Nashville, we have this thing called the Center for Nonprofit Management. Mm-hmm. And you can take grant writing classes. And there's tons of webinars that mm. teach you how to do this. And you can always find somebody that's done it before that will review your your yeah. grants. Um, yeah. And that's been really helpful. We would like to have a full-time development director, but we only have a part-time one right now. She splits mm-hmm. her time between volunteer coordinating and development. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. That's really hard. So we all chip in. Um, we all chip in is really how that works. So yeah. it's it's not yeah. ideal, but um, but it is a skill you can learn. And you can also contract with people um, to just do that grant. You know, you pay them so mm. much for that grant. And that's we've seen that work for a lot of other nonprofits as well. I think it's also good that you um, you mentioned that 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 oftentimes it's the case where folks in this world, uh, the helping world, whatever you might nonprofit world, that folks learn things and they're actually usually pretty happy to to pass along the knowledge. And so I think that's a good word that if if you're looking to start something or or what or grow something that it's a good idea to talk to other folks who've started something or who are growing something right like that's that's a good word that i want to just re-emphasize there absolutely Um, yeah so the 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 next and sort of related thing then is so you started off you said five people you're all Mm -hmm. scrambling uh you've now gone in uh, (laughs) over 10 years you've you've doubled or over eight Mm -hmm. years you've doubled now to 12 people over doubled but but seriously you have i I, i've seen this you know personally you have just volunteers like all sorts of different kinds of volunteers and staff and like how do you go about finding those volunteers like vetting them to see that they're because the work that y'all do is is very um interactional with with other human beings it's not sort of you know, packaging something in the back or kind of like there there needs to be some recognition that if you're going to bring volunteers out that, that you can trust them um, to act right and talk right. And, and if you're going to hire new staff, like, I guess I'm just asking, how do you go about that whole process of finding quality volunteers and staff and training them, vetting them, all of that kind of thing? Yeah. So in the recruitment process, um, I want to say that we try to inspire people to join us. Mm. Um, I I found this quote recently that says something like, you know, if you want to build a ship, 
you don't just call up people to collect wood and you don't just like find mm. them to all these tasks, but you teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Yes, I saw that too somewhere. We yes. must be looking at the same Facebook uh, post or something. Yes, that was beautiful. Yeah. And so the idea is like, don't, you know, light attracts light. This mm. longing for beloved community, for collective liberation, for, for wholeness um, and justice, these things attract each other. And you want to inspire people to get involved with what you're doing because they're going to be transformed. And the sea is terrifying and beautiful, but um, it, it's rhythm's call to us. So it's helping mm. people tap into that, um, kind of that human need we all have to be known and to be in community with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we we recruit and then we train, whether it's a staff member or a volunteer. We've created our own training curriculum, um, partly from all the things we've learned not to do, right, through yeah, our yeah. own trial and error. Yes. But also based on evidence-based practices. And those are things in the field of social work like trauma-informed care, mm-hmm. taking people's trauma seriously and, and responding with compassion and um, instead of judgment. So we train people on that. And you know, we're, we really take our friends on the streets, their words seriously. And if they say, hey, so-and-so was at your resource shelter the other night and they said this or they did this, then mm. we deal with that in a very direct way, um, a, a kind of curious and a compassionate way. But we, we are very protective of our friends. We don't want anybody to impose their beliefs or their religion or their opinions um, or their thoughts on how somebody needs to fix their life on our people Mm. because that's a kind of violence to impose something on someone else who's maybe um, has less power than you Mm. in that situation so we're pretty protective and and we try to try to do that well we of course advertise on social media and within the local nonprofit sector here for jobs and such but um, but yeah, we're looking for people with passion because if somebody has the heart, then you can train them in the skills and the approach. But we can't train people to have that open heart to, to other people and other humans and that longing to be a part of that community. All right. Well, that wraps up our first part of the interview we've done with Lindsey Krinks. I hope, uh, hope you've enjoyed it so far. You can be listening for the next and final part of this interview soon. I mentioned earlier, but I'll say it again. We'll be posting episodes every second and fourth Wednesday of each month. So you can be on the lookout every second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Hopefully, in uh, listening to Lindsay talk so far, um, you have been inspired and you've been given some practical advice and some ideas uh, for how you might um, participate in ministry yourself. Um, be dropping that second part of this interview real soon, so be on the lookout for that every second and fourth Wednesday of each month. So coming at you real soon, we will have the second part of our interview with Lindsey Cranks. 
And this is Justin Berenger, the Rogue Minister, signing off with my co-host. Rachel at Speech Strong Resources. And go check out our show notes. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and comment. You can also submit questions, reviews, and comments on our Facebook page. And as always, be faithful to that which you have been called.